Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep history alive at the local level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and joining me today is my co-host, Tara Barrett. Tara, hello. Hi, Dale. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Um, So today, this is a very special day. Today is our all-purpose holiday special. I'm very excited. I love holidays. <laughs> so we, we've been playing the last couple episodes, uh, some clips from the archives. And a lot of these are interviews that have been done and are housed on Memorial University's digital archives initiative, collections.mun.ca, for those of you who want to go and, and check that out. Um, and holidays are one of those things that people seem to have lots of memories about. Oh, yeah. Whenever you do an interview and you bring up any sort of holiday you get a lot of response, yeah. which is great. Yeah, if we're ever stuck for something to talk about in an interview, we can always say, tell me about Christmas, and then <laughs> people will go on and on about Christmas memories. So uh, we've got a bunch of holidays here. You've gone through and picked out some clips, and there's holidays from all through the calendar year that we're going to talk about. Yeah, today. I think we're starting off with Valentine's Day and then ending off with Christmas. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's get right into it. So the first interview uh, that we're going to play is just, just a little clip from an interview that I guess you had done with Daphne Gillingham. So you want to set up this little, what are we listening to? Yeah, so this is an interview that I did back in uh, 2017, and it was part of the Collective Memories Project uh, that we did at the Heritage, Heritage NL. And um, Daphne had come out to one of our memory mug-ups that we held. We'd partnered with local libraries and held these uh, senior storytelling events. And so Daphne had come out, and so... After that, I went to her home in St. John's, and we talked about growing up in St. John's, and we talked about holidays. And she had this particular memory of how Valentine's has changed from when she was a kid to today. It was a much more, uh, you know, drop and go. You, you wanted to make sure that nobody knew whose Valentine was yours. Anyway, I'll let her, I'll let her explain in the clip. Uh, another thing that I remember that has certainly changed over the years is Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day was very different when I was a child. Um, you would get your cards, you'd go out and buy cards or you'd make them and your cards probably came in a book and in the book you would have to cut them all out yourself. But when it came to sending them to somebody, you wouldn't let them know who the card came from. So you would write down on the back probably, guess who? Or uh, if you sort of... Um, wanted them to really have to think about who it was from. You might put your initials. You might um, put letters here and there all over the page, like a a puzzle that they'd have to figure it out. Or you might write your name backwards, or print your name backwards. And I guess the big time was the evening. Once it got dark, you would go around to your friends' houses who you had cards for, and you would put it in their mailbox, or you'd put it under their door somewhere and you'd ring the bell and you'd run because you wouldn't want them to know but you would probably be hiding somewhere to be sure they opened the door to look to see who the uh, valentine was from do you say do you say valentine or valentine after hearing that clip i am no longer sure (laughs) (laughs) i look because i find that some maybe that's a local dialectical thing like some people say Valentines. Some people say Valum time. Uh, Valum times. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Like, there's lots of little regional pronunciations of how people do things. Uh, a few years ago, I was teaching the, the public folklore course uh, here at Memorial, and uh, I took my, my public folklore students out to Portugal Cove St. Phillips. We've done a couple projects out there. They're always, uh, they're always up for uh, some students <laughs> coming out and chatting with them and whatnot. 
and so this is um, this is uh, a woman that was was interviewed by one of our folklore students, currently a PhD student in in the Department of Folklore, Emma Kabrkstis, um, and she's interviewing Dolores Susan Mitchell, uh, one of the ladies that we had a, had a chat with about her memories of growing up um, in in Portugal Cove St. Phillips, and, and this is her memory of Valentine's. And that and Valentine's Day, they do Valentine's different now. <laughs> We used to uh, make out our valentines. Most of the time, we wouldn't sign our name. We'd say, guess who? Like, we write it. <laughs> if I said one to you, I would write your name, and then I'd say, guess who? And what we did, we would put them underneath your door or by your door, and we would knock and run away. And it's true. Yeah. Because everybody, all the, whoever was home, whatever child was home inside that house, was anxious, listening for the door or knock on the door so they could go get their valentine. It was fun. And did you guess? Was there, did you go around guessing then? We would try to guess who it was, and that that was all part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to figure out, okay, who was that one from, right? <laughs> and then trying to catch someone leaving the valentine at your door so we know exactly who did it. That was fun, too. So if those memories of Valentine's or Valentine's uh, elicit some memory for you, you should send us an email at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, I want, I want to know what people say. Valentine's or Valentine's? It's an interesting one. Okay. So this next clip is, uh, is another one that was uh, from a memory mug up event in St. John's, and it's uh, Nancy Knight and Claudia Earle. And Nancy had uh, come to the mug up, and when I went to her house to do the interview, she brought along her friend Claudia. And so they both went to Bishop uh, Spencer School, and they have all these kind of combined memories. And in this clip, they're talking about Easter, and in particular, how much they hate Good Friday. After Labor Day, um, the next holiday would be November the 11th. That's right. And that, um, that, that was a somber day. That was a somber day. But the most somber day was Good Friday. Good Friday was terrible. It was a terrible day. You have no idea. You couldn't Truly? do anything. You couldn't do anything. Terry, you have no idea of Good Friday. No. It Good was Friday a, in our house. I'll never forget. Now we're church going. It was, it was an oppressive day. Even for me. And I was leaving Clary, as you've already told me. It was oppressive. It was awful. You were not allowed to enjoy yourself. You couldn't do anything. You had to. We had to wear our black and white. Oh. We had to wear black and white. Uh, we had nothing to eat until we'd been to church. Oh. Uh, so when I say, you know, we were adherent, we were adherent. And uh, we had nothing to eat until we were going to church. When we'd been to church, after we'd been to church. And, you know, we would go to church for like two or three hours until we rebelled. <laughs> it was a terrible day. It was. There was nothing on television, only... Would you, have been, would you have been allowed to watch it or whatever? Well, yes, maybe it was a it was all religious programs. You could that's watch. true. That's what it was. You know, yeah. but um, it was a horrible day. It was a horrible day. You know, truly, you just had to get through it. I hate good. You could read. You could sit and you could read. You wouldn't have been allowed to play cards. And that was that. No cards. And even I wouldn't have been allowed to play cards. No, you didn't even go out and play. You had to mourn. Yeah, it was an awful day. But then Easter was good. <laughs> yeah, Easter was good. And you always had a new dress for Easter. Some Easter uh, memories there. Wh one of the things that I find fascinating about the work that we do as folklorists is um, how specific some traditions can be 
you know, there might be a tradition in a community or within a family that is totally different from what from what other people do. So uh, in the very early years of the Intangible Cultural Heritage Program at Heritage NL, um, we, we sent one of our staff people, Melissa Squarey, off to interview Betty Rumbolt up in Upper Island Cove about Easter buns, which was kind of a localized tradition of making Easter buns. D- did you ever have anything special that you ate at Easter time? Yeah, uh, growing up, my mom always made uh, an Easter bunny cake, and I make it now myself. I have my Good Friday memories are a lot more fun. I have my friends over every Good Friday, and we paint Easter eggs. And so, our Easter bunny cake, my mom always had a heart shaped uh, cake, which she'd use for Valentine's Day, but she'd also use it for Easter. So, you make the cake, you slice the heart in half, you put it together so you have like a rounded, like a 3D bunny and then you add like a marshmallow and eyes and whiskers (laughs) and all that with like licorice so yes okay well uh, and then you would ice the whole thing oh yeah you'd ice it and then you put um, uh, coconut on top to make it look uh, you know like fur (laughs) okay Uh, well this is a very different kind of culinary uh, Easter (laughs) tradition Uh, Betty Rumbled and the tradition of Easter buns Let's start off by maybe just talking about your first memories of Easter buns and your first memory. Oh, so long ago, I can't even remember. <laughs> Mom always made uh, Easter buns, yeah. and uh, we I was just talking to my brother, actually, this morning, and I mentioned um, this interview, and we thought that everybody made Easter buns. Doug I didn't know people didn't have Easter buns until we uh, moved away from Upper Island Cove. But there was uh, other traditions. Every Easter... We would ask our friends, uh, where are you having your Easter? And that meant on Easter Monday, we would go to um, my aunt's house usually, but it's some family friend who had kids your age, and we would boil eggs, eat chocolate, and eat Easter buns. And that was our tradition. And I was just talking to my brother, and I was thinking, we had no conscious memory of the Easter bunny or Easter egg hunts on Easter Sunday morning, nothing like that. Not not like Santa Claus, not like Christmas. Yeah. Easter Sunday was for going to church in your new clothes, but Easter Monday was when you had your Easter. And we would have our Easter in Tilton, which was the next community usually because it's where mom's sister lived. And uh, they had kids my age, so it was for the kids. And sometimes I think we dye eggs. And we boil eggs, dye eggs, had Coke and chocolate and Easter buns. And there was light Easter buns and dark Easter buns. And the light ones are just a white kind of cakey tea bun kind of thing. And the dark ones, of course, just had molasses and sometimes um, cloves or cinnamon just to have that little spicy taste. All right, so on that note, I guess, of springtime and uh, changing seasons, uh, this next clip comes from... uh, Peggy Snow, who grew up in Kilbride, and she's uh, she went to school at St. Augustine's, uh, which is now part of, uh, or was part of St. Bride's College, also known as Littledale, and she's kind of discussing what one of the traditions they would do in the spring, which was the May Walk, which had to do with Mary. You mentioned the, the May Walk. What was the May Walk? Um, it was to honor Mary, the month of Mary, um, and we would all, we'd crown Mary with the crown, and we'd all wear blue ribbons. And we get in the corridor in the morning and sing hymns to Mary, and um, and we all have a May altar in our classrooms, so the statue of Mary, and then there would be blue ribbons floating from that, and then we'd probably have on the board Mary, you know, bless Mary. So you have this devotion to Mary, 
but the grotto I think is still there I love grottos that's what we do we'd all sing hymns to Mary and go up and cry and I don't know who get the grotto I never did get the ground. but anyway yeah it was right on the side of Little Dale there that's what we called it right Little Dale so that was the devotion thing and, and most Catholics will tell you that that they wore ribbons in uh, blue in May one of the other traditions I'm really interested in is the May bush. This was a tradition in certain parts of Newfoundland where people would decorate a bush with the, those ribbons that she was talking about, um, usually with blue ribbons. And it was a tradition that kind of persisted in the Torbay, Flat Rock uh, area for a while. I know folklorist Philip Hiscock uh, had documented a lot of those, and uh, folklorist Lara Maynard, uh, uh, who uh, we've worked with before, uh, has an interest in those as well. Um, but you don't see them much anymore. You don't see May bushes. So again, like if you if you have a memory of May bushes or May ribbon traditions in some some form or another, give us a shout. We'd love to we'd love to know about it. Or May queens, because I find that one part like really interesting as well. Because I know parts of Labrador they have May queens. They crown um, a May queen as well. So yeah, yeah. That's a, these are really I think old traditions that. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to do a bit more work on the May, the May tradition stuff. So we've we've moved through the year. We're we're getting into warmer weather, and summer is upon us. Uh, we can dream as we record this <laughs> in March, um, and uh, garden parties, which is a big part of kind of community life in in Newfoundland, always has been. Um, we did a little project out in Marysvale. Uh, we had gone out to Marysvale, formerly known as Turk's Gut. And uh, we did a bunch of interviews. You were talking earlier about how you did a, an interview with a woman and another woman came along. Um, this was a great interview I did with two ladies, uh, Shirley Ryan and Patricia Whalen, uh, both of Marysvale, and talking about garden parties and cold plates. When I first moved down here, we had garden parties. I'd never seen a garden party. I mean, we had fairs up in the mainland, but garden parties, oh my gosh. Oh, it was marvelous. So what would happen at a garden party? They'd have little booths for the children, and, and um, they spin wheels for numbers, and they have booths, and oh, it's grand, in the churchyard, or either that or in the hall, up by the, the hall, on yeah. the hall. Really it was great. Oh, my gosh. Who would organize it? The committees. Committees. They had a special committees, right? And they pay $5 to go in. <laughs> and then they had a big um, meal, cold plates. Yeah. Everybody would go in the hall and sit down and pay for the cold plate and have it either that or take it. Take it home, right? Yeah. Either one. That was a little story there from Marysvale. Turks got. There's a, a kind of a funny little story about that that particular uh, interview. Uh, we had been working with the Marysvale uh, c- committee, I guess, the Turks got Heritage House committee. And they had gotten a bit of money to um, do some transcription of, of their interviews, um, which is a, a great thing. That means that you don't have to do it. Tra- tra- <laughs> anyone who's transcribed oral history interviews knows that that can take a long time. So we had sent these um, interviews off, and the interview came back from, from these ladies. And in the transcript, the, the, the transcriptionist, who I guess was like out of Ontario or something like that, there was this, this little word that said, you know, unintelligible, unintelligible. It was kind of repeated through the thing. And when we listened to it, what, what the ladies were saying was cold plate. But they were pronouncing it in that very typical kind of quick Newfoundland way, cold plate. 
<laughs> and this poor transcriptionist who had never heard of a cold plate had had no idea what a cold plate was that it was this you know a plate of cold food that you could get and, and buy as part of a fundraiser I think the initial like unintelligible they had wrote, written uh, C-O-A-L question mark coal plate coal and they were like uh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's funny you know there was um, that happens in transcription and sometimes people just aren't familiar with the source material necessarily um, I remember someone had done a transcription uh, and uh, um, they had come across the word puncheon. The word puncheon oh, okay. had been used in, in the context of the interview. And the interviewer obviously had no idea what a, what a puncheon uh, was. And I can't remember what they had described it as, but it was clearly not <laughs> puncheon. <laughs> Whereas, you know, a local, a Newfoundland listener would know what a, what a puncheon is. Now, you just made a shocking confession to me. <laughs> That you I have never been <laughs> to a garden party. Okay, that's on our agenda for this summer. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna as field work. We're gonna go find a garden party. Uh, so if you've got a recommendation out there for the best garden party that Tara can um, Tara can go to to be initiated in the the rites of summer, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll take her to a garden party uh, this year. There's man, there's tons of garden parties everywhere. I know, but growing up, like I, uh, we'd go around the bay to visit my pop, and we go to the Lower Island Cove Regatta. So that was like a garden party on wheels because there was fireworks and music and all the good food, but also like uh, races. Yeah. And, so yeah. They, what, what what were they racing dories? What or? Oh, that's a good question. Like I haven't been in like I, I haven't been in like 15 years, <laughs> over 15 years. I have no recollection. And you were facing eyes into the food. You weren't yeah. even looking at the no. race and and the games. Come on, like as a kid, no. <laughs> yeah. And the I, hay rides. Oh my god. I feel we could do a whole. We could probably do a whole episode just on on regatta stuff. I know we've we've talked about the regatta on this uh, podcast before, but there's lots of little regattas that happen um, yeah. uh, all around. And talk about pronunciation. You know, I I moved here from yeah, Ontario. Yeah, I was thinking that. I moved here from Ontario. 25 years ago or whatever and I remember the first one of the first summers I was here in the early 90s and people were talking about regatta 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 and I had said to someone oh are you going to the regatta <laughs> the regatta like a real upper Canadian right and anyway, it sounds way too fancy way too fancy for the yeah. regatta no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I do love a cold plate I will say that is one of my favorite things uh, Doughboy's Bakery out in Conception yeah they Bay do South. make a good they cold plate they do a good cold plate cold plate <laughs> uh, okay, so we've moved uh, in our uh, holiday, all-purpose holiday special. We've moved kind of into the fall time of the year. One of my favorite holidays um, in Newfoundland. Uh, just such a great holiday. And that is what, what people here would call bonfire night. November 5th in other parts of the world, uh, Guy Fox night. Um, but this was, um, this is a very old tradition. It's an old English tradition. Uh, bonfire night kind of became an official state holiday uh, in the in the 17th century and it, it persists here in a way that yeah. really it doesn't persist in in many other parts of North America you know it really has uh, it really has a longevity here um, and Heritage NL had done a little bit of work uh, doing a little bit of revitalization around the tradition and encouraging communities to develop safe bonfires that people could go to and, and we still see lots of communities out there who are who are having bonfires on bonfire night so, uh, so but there is this little uh, kind of smaller tradition that goes alongside it that's called torch night 
And I think when we talk to most Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, uh, people know about Bonfire Night generally. Maybe some really Roman Catholic communities didn't have Bonfire Night in the fall of the year. They might have had it for... uh, uh, St. John's St. Day. John's Day, yeah. yeah. June. Uh, but many people had bonfires. But this torch night tradition is a is a little different. It's a little smaller, and, and not every community had torch night. Yeah, so this was a clip from Frank Beeson from uh, Windsor, and this was the first time I'd heard of torch night. And we were just kind of talking about him growing up, and I had asked him about bonfire night, and then he said that the second night they would do torch night, which was completely new for me. And that's oh. what this clip is. Yeah. So they didn't actually do it on the 5th of November. They did it He would do it after. on the 6th. On oh. the they would have the bonfire night, and then the next night would be torch night, which okay. is a whole separate thing. Perfect. So here's Frank from Windsor talking about torch night. And you used to have the big bonfires in Victor uh, too. That was another thing. And you, you'd be going around, you'd probably be a, a good spell collecting all the tars you could get, the bells you could get, and then somebody would steal off another fire, and then another fire would steal so you had the big fire. Who had the biggest fire? And then the next night would be torch night. We used to call it torch night. And you'd come home probably black as your boots, trying to roast some potatoes in the in the in the fire. You know. So torch night followed. For us, it did. Yeah, we used to have it on the next night. See, because nonsense of ten, your fire wouldn't be out the next day. So you get perk it up again and get this long stick with the potato on it, stick it in the fire. And, or go around, we, we, that's what we used to call it, torch night. Now, whether it was or not, I don't know. We never see a lot of torches, but, you know, sometimes a fuller would have an old reed or something dipped in the, into oil or, or a, a bit of clot with a bit of terror onto it or something. Just, you know, have a torch and that was it. One of the other communities that did celebrate torch night was the community of Bonavista. Uh, and a couple of years ago when we were doing some research on uh, these kinds of traditions around the province, uh, we had been promoting the idea of communities doing bonfires. Uh, one of the people who at that point was working for the Department of Tourism was Juanita Keel Ryan, originally of Bailey's Cove, uh, Bonavista. And this is her memory of uh, bonfire night and, and torch night in Bonavista. Well, as a little, little kid, uh, my dad would always uh, collect the potato stalks from the garden, and uh, that would have, you know, would, would be going on from, I guess, September when they started uh, pulling the stalks, and we'd put them together and put them out there to dry, and then uh, bonfire night, it would be a major event, you'd get all the potato stalks together and burn them, and then these little potatoes that you would find left over in the garden, you would throw these in the fire and uh, let them roast, so, uh, you know, you'd be there with your sticks half the night trying to get these little potatoes out so you could actually take them out and enjoy them, they were quite tasty, even without the salt. So how big would the fires be? Uh, they they varied, I guess. You know, our own little one would probably, because I was an only kid and my dad would just do it sort of for the few kids around, would be a fairly small one because you would have just the potato stalks. But then uh, over the years, uh, I got to go to the bigger ones. And these would have everything from tires to, uh, especially tires because they, they burn for a long, long time, any old wood that you could find around, any sort of uh, things that would roll up on the beach. So you name it, it was there. And uh, they could be quite large. And uh, usually a bunch of teenagers were the ones that were out there adding to the fire and stoking it as you went. So, yeah, quite substantial, actually. I guess I, I really don't know, but uh, my understanding is certainly along the uh, the coast of uh, Bonavista Peninsula, there were bonfires going on all over the place, and they still do in some areas. Uh, some people now sort of move them to the beach, and uh, there's been families up around Birchie Cove and Newman's Cove that, you know, sort of collect things almost all year long and then take them down to the beach and have this big bonfire on bonfire night. Um, 
we don't rem- I don't remember any sort of beach fires at that stage. I remember all the ones that we had were generally on potato grounds. So it wasn't a community event, but you'd have all these little fires in you know all these gardens around Bonavista. So you could, if you walked through the town, you could see all these little fires going on. I, I guess growing up, no one ever really knew why we were doing it. It was just sort of a fun event that happened every year. You just collected your stuff and uh, you know had your fire. Yeah, Torch Night was the night before Bonfire Night, and I don't know where it originated at all. Uh, but you'd get, and it was mostly boys that. I understand, that would go around and they would get a fairly, you know, substantive stick. And on that stick, they would wrap either old rags or whatever, and they would be dipped in tar. And uh, on torch night, they'd light them and walk around the the town with torches. Sometimes they'd use an old rubber boot, you know, that was sort of stuffed with uh, rags that were wrapped in tar. But it was basically having a large torch and just going around the town. I, I don't remember ever any damage being done. It was just sort of a thing you did. The night before bonfire night, I wasn't pretty. I wasn't very old at the the time. I guess uh, it was going on, but yeah, I still remember that sort of going on. And I don't ever remember any girls sort of going around with torches. I don't know if it's still going on. I know bonfire night still goes on down there, but uh, torch night, I don't think so. When I left Bonavista in the seventies, uh, certainly bonfire night was still going on, but I don't remember the torch night sort of happening at that stage. So it would have been earlier than that. Yeah, when I was a little kid. All right, so now that Bonfire Night is over and Torch Night is over, we're moving into the Christmas season. So these next two clips come from Joan Keating of St. John's, and she's talking about the Christmas raffle, which I'm sure a lot of people in St. John's would remember. And then she also talks about a particular tradition uh, that her family had of giving out presents on Christmas Eve. The Christmas raffle was downtown on Water Street. In that section, you know where the, the old bank of Nova Scotia was? Well, there'd be one of those places between there and, say, where Down Homer is now. You know, be one, one of, that's usually where it was. And and we all st- uh, you know, saw us on, on the ground. I can remember that. And uh, and their tickets, you know, and the, selling the tickets. That's what I remember about that. Christmas time, uh, Mom would do up her presents. And uh, for our, our family, well, they lived more or less within walking distance. The one the furthest away uh, was my aunt that uh, lived uh, sort of out by where Stockwoods is, uh, out there uh, at the beginning of Kenmont Road. So uh, anyway, on Christmas Eve, she would put the presents on board the, our sled and to, they'll go around and tell us, don't you take back any from any, anybody else. They can come and deliver their presents yourself. Tell them you're busy. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so we would go around. You know, didn't do it every Christmas, but I can remember two or three Christmases going off with the slide and the, and the uh, presents on the slide, you know. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the calendar year. We, we could go on and on, I think, about uh, all of these holiday traditions. We could do a whole episode just on on Christmas alone. Yeah, definitely. And mummering for sure. Yeah, I know we've got a lot of a lot of information there on all kinds of holidays. We'll have to do some actual real holiday specials, I think. We'll we'll come back and and maybe comb through our collections and see what we've got about uh, specific holidays. So so look forward to that. But it's too early to talk about Christmas. <laughs> Much too early to talk about <laughs> Christmas. We can't even talk about summer yet. No. So we'll uh, we'll let we'll let Christmas come when when Christmas comes. Um, but do do let us know if if anything you heard today on the show elicits a holiday memory for you. We would love to know about it. You can send us an email: livingheritagepodcast 
at gmail.com or, or a holiday recipe. I love a good recipe. Yeah. I'd yeah. love to try out. I'm, I'm definitely going to try out those Easter buns. The Easter buns. Yeah. So, and yeah, so let us know. Did you, did you have something special you ate at Easter or at another time of year? I remember uh, listening to one of the interviews that Hiram Silk had done, um, who we've referenced on this show before, and we'll have to do a whole show, I think, yeah, on Hiram Silk. Um, he he had done an interview with someone who was talking about Christmas meals, and and this woman's favorite Christmas meal was deer tongue. Ah, that, that okay. Was, you know, like, I guess a caribou tongue, and that would be like the thing that they would get and save and <laughs> eat that on Christmas dinner. So. Uh, interesting what people I figured you were going to talk about the smell of blood oh, pudding oh the smell of blood pudding yeah that was in a, when uh, folklorist Jillian Gould and I had done a, a little event in Carboneer and one woman had said that was her favorite Christmas smell was the smell <laughs> of pig's blood because that was when her dad would kill the pig and make blood pudding it always comes back to food with us doesn't it Tara <laughs> yes okay definitely. well we will finish there uh, and Tara happy holidays happy holidays Dale You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening.